The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point of view. How does it feel for you? Einstein said he could never understand it all. Planets are spinning through space. Smile upon your face. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I'm also the editor of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And to learn more about my work and that of my two partners, Chen Lin and Roger Wagan, uh, you can go to miningstocks.com or webeatthestreet.com uh, for Roger Wiegand, mining stocks for uh, Chen and myself. Uh, you can also sign up for special trial offers. Uh, call my assistant, Claudio Bossi, at 718-457-1426. at 718-457-1426 during normal work hours, and Claudio will be happy to help you out as well. Two other websites where I am posting daily blogs are jtaylormedia.com, that's J-A-Y-T-A-Y-L-O-R-Media.com, and goldinvestor.com. Also, to keep track of companies on my radar screen, those are companies that I am taking a serious look at for possible inclusion in my newsletter in the future, you can go to another website. It's called jayswatchlist.com. That's J-A-Y-S watchlist.com. Well, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show. Uh, I was very excited to learn recently that our numbers are improving at Voice America. We started this show back on March 24th, and it's very gratifying to know that people are enjoying the show and benefiting from it uh, in many different ways. 
And lest I forget, uh, I want to thank most of all our corporate sponsors who make this show financially possible. They are Apollo Gold, Bonterra Resources, Hawthorne Gold, Metanor Resources, uh, Pediment Gold, Palangel Explorations, and Sand Gold. It's really no accident that all of our sponsors are gold mining companies because gold is real money. The Federal Reserve and our policymakers are destroying our currency. They're printing money like mad. Our nation and our democracy is are being threatened, essentially, I believe, because of these debasement of currencies. Those that are helping to rebuild are gold mining companies because they are providing a valuable monetary asset that, in the end, over centuries, has always been turned to as real money as a substance for rebuilding an economic system. And I believe that is going to happen again sometime in the not-too-distant future. Certainly, the markets are telling us they don't have confidence in paper. Gold is now up and around $1,000 an ounce. It's certainly saying people aren't believing in paper money as they once did. We are having and enjoying some very good results so far this year. In our model portfolio, the one that I have in my newsletter, is up about 52 53%. Uh, uranium stocks are still the biggest winners this year because they were so obliterated, really, the year before, uh, and they're up off the bottom. But gold stocks are really the mainstay of our portfolio and have been since 2000 when we have uh, outperformed the, the general market uh, by about three or four times. Uh, our junior gold stocks, those are the companies that are exploring and developing but not yet in production, are up 100% this year on average. And our gold producers haven't done quite as well. They're up 40%. But one of those companies that have that has helped to pull the average up is Apollo Gold. It's up 122% for us this year. And so we are very excited to have um, that company's CEO, Dave Russell, with us today. And he'll be talking to us in just a couple of minutes to explain a little bit about Apollo Gold. Apollo Gold is, as I mentioned, a sponsor of this show. I'm very proud to have them because it's uh, it's truly one of my favorite uh, gold mining companies, a company that is, uh, that's building wealth. And I think um, the market is not really fully appreciating this company's upside potential. I do have still some real concerns about the equity market, uh, that we are facing a real bear market. This bear market, I think, is not over. The only question in my mind is whether or not, uh, as Dr. McHugh, who was our special guest last week, talked about whether we are going to see something really severe uh, where, the, where the lows of March 6th are taken out, uh, in which case McHugh believes we could be looking at something, a cataclysmic nation-changing event that would make the 1930s look like a walk in the park. Let's hope he's wrong about that. Uh, one person who probably does not disagree with Dr. McHugh is our special guest this week. That's Ian Gordon. We're going to be talking to Ian in the second and third segments of this show. Ian is a very good friend of mine and a financial advisor. Uh, and uh, well, we'll have we'll have more to say about Ian as we uh, as we begin talking to him in, in a few minutes. Um, for now, I'd like to turn though to Dave Russell. He is the president and CEO of Apollo Gold. Uh, hello, Dave. Uh, good afternoon, uh, Jay. It's a pleasure to be here with you today, and thank you for having me. Well, thank you for coming on. Uh, Apollo Gold is really quite a story, I think. It's it's a company that's producing gold uh, in Ontario now. You just started producing, did you not? We did, uh, Jay. We actually brought the mine into production uh, right at the end of May and June of 2009 here. 
And uh, a year earlier, we finished our feasibility study, went on to the bankable phase in April of 2008, and we fast-tracked the project in, 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 into production. And we told the market we would pour, by the end of May, gold. And on the 23rd of May, we poured the first 3,000 ounces of gold, which is three beautiful yellow bars of gold. <laughs> well, that's, um, you know, for companies to come on online on time, uh, that's sort of rare. I mean, I, I can remember, I mean, I can count probably on on two hands or probably on one hand the number of companies that I've seen actually stick to their uh, stick to their schedules and come online exactly when they told their investors they would so that's that's quite an accomplishment no it, it was a, uh, a real exercise in coordination between engineering groups production groups contractors to get the pre-stripping done between October say and April during the frozen months up there to get the or vein exposed, and then get our trucks and shovels and our crews in mining ore by April, and actually keep within that budget. The budget was about 110 million, of which the company had raised roughly about 40 million of that in equity, and we borrowed bank financing about 70 million to get this project off the ground. And I might add, we did it in one of the roughest markets you could raise money, but we were able to get it off the ground and get it get the mine producing. Yes, I recall that, David. I recall it very well. We had actually. Uh added Apollo to our to our list um, and there was real concern I mean this was following the meltdown last fall uh, into the uh, first part of this year and there was real concern I mean your stock price was way down way way down as everyone else's was because how are you going to finance yourself and the fact that you were able to in that kind of a market I think is a testimony to the to the robust uh, potential of your project could you tell us a little bit about the Black Fox uh, mine at this time. That's the name of the mine, I believe, that you have in production right now. That's correct. Black Fox Open Pit Mine. It has an underground component, but what we targeted first was bringing the open pit into full production, and we actually rebuilt a mill that we purchased about a year earlier, and it cost about $20 million Canadian to purchase and about $26 million in capital to actually refurbish it. We took it from 1,000 metric tons to 2,000 metric tons. When we started up in April and May, the mill, we slowly started at 1,000 metric tons, told the market we'd slowly work our way up, and by September we'd be at 1,800 metric tons through the mill, at roughly about a 4.5 to 5.5 gram gold grade. And we achieved that target, and right now we're at about a little above 1,800 metric tons as of uh, toward the end of September here. So we're very pleased with the progress, you know, both on the mining side, the milling side, that things are uh, coming off very well. Um, some of the biggest components in bringing a mine online is following your ore reserve in these pits. We did stumble, I think, in July where we had a little bit of dilution in our ores, which we've corrected that now, and I think we were full steam ahead on roughly about 4.8 to 5 grams per tonny and about 1,800 metric tons. But our next target is by year's end being at about 1,950 metric tons, and then we'll stabilize the uh, production profile at that. And that'll account for a, a low of 100,000 ounces and up towards 120,000 ounces of production for 2010. For 2010, what do you figure your operating costs are there, Dave? Well, the direct operating costs, um, you know, in a startup, they vary because we're actually sure. pushing production. And we believe the operating cost on a full mill per ton basis might be in the $55 per ton tonny range. And that's mm -hmm. Canadian dollars. And then our cash cost per ounce. Uh, we actually showed in in May and June, which is just a partial quarter, $403 per ounce. I think that was skewed a little bit, and our third quarter is probably going to push about 450 480 
now where do we where where should we be in the fourth quarter? We should be about four hundred or under four hundred dollars, mm-hmm. and our feasibility set about three eighty seven by the time we get the mine stabilized at one thousand nine hundred and fifty tonnes per day. I was going to ask you if there might not be some economies of scale as you go up to nineteen fifty one thousand nine hundred fifty uh, tons a day. So that would be some economies of scale that would come into play and reduce your cost a bit there. That's correct. That's what happens is both on the mining side you increase and on the milling side you increase and incrementally lower the uh, throughput production costs, which in turn, assuming the grades at 4.8 to 5 grams per ton, would equate to just under $400 cash cost per ounce of production. Okay, Dave, one of the things that has me so excited about your company is the exploration potential. You came out with a phenomenal drill hole. I think something like 13 ounces over three meters or something like that a few weeks ago. Could you talk about that? And when do you expect to have some more drill results coming out? And and this is, by the way, I think on the um, this is on the Gray Fox property, which is close to uh, your existing property. That's correct, Jay. That's the Gray Fox property, which is located roughly about 3.5 kilometers to the southeast. Now, this property is along the Dester Porcupine, but what's real interesting, it's got a north-south structural component to that. In the first drilling, we had uh, many holes between 5 and 8 grams and one very good hit alone on a structure that ran roughly 13 uh, ounces per ton across 3 meters. Mm. So you're, you're correct in that. We've since followed up with a new drilling program that said, okay, we're going to internally drill very close and bring this to a resource phase over the next six months. And right now, we've completed 12 core holes on that area. But I can tell everybody we've hit exactly structure-wise what we're looking for. We've got a couple holes um, in from uh, the assaying, and the geologists are reviewing up and actually doing duplicate assays. And we should have the data to the market within the next two weeks. Oh, good. Okay. So do you think that you possibly have found a new structure, a new deposit, or is this something of the same the same deposit that you were mining before? You know, um, it's three and a half kilometers to the south. So what we know of it right now is we found the Dester Porcupine, which is uh, roughly a 45-degree angle to this structure. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing is we're drilling the structure. We're also drilling the Dester Porcupine, which is the main feeder. And as we, we feel, as it goes north to the northwest, it's going to come together. And we should have a pretty good play for an ore body in that area. So we're, we're looking forward to not only the structures being economically viable, but the intersection of these structures. And the intersection of the structures go on to what's known as a Pike River property. Yes, and indeed. I was going to ask you about that, Dave. Now, you just recently acquired that property, I think, from Newmont. Could you tell us the significance of that? I mean, it looks to me like if you have some continuous or some continuity between those two properties and Pike Rivers in between, that you could have something, potentially, something very significant, something large here. And that's correct. The significance of Pike River is that it closed the gap, that three-and-a-half-kilometer gap between Black Fox, the property in the ore body, and Pike River. And there is drill data to indicate that the structure exists, the Dester Porcupine, and ore-grade material that's on the Pike River property. So it was a great coup for us to actually get that property and put it in the property package where now we can move the rigs from the Gray Fox property north on the structure and then head northwest as we drill our way up. So we're really excited about this property. And as we know, in the underground of the Black Fox, that our main structure abuts that Pike River property, and we do have drill data in the reserve base that says we have economic ore right there. So we're really excited about this being a big play uh, 
you know, as far as new ore bodies, extensions of ore bodies from the Black Fox and the Pike River, as well as the intersection of the north-south out of Great Fox hitting the Pike River structure. Indeed, and Dave, uh, it's, you know, you talk about big plays, but you have a fair number of ounces already outlined there. What is your reserve and what is your resource uh, number right now? Hey, the, the reserve number that we use under the feasibility study that was completed in April is 1.33 million ounces of gold. The resource stands, now in the U.S. we can't talk about resources, but since it's in a 43-year-old in Canada, it's about 720,000 ounces. So we're pushing a, a database with a reserve resource just at Black Fox at 2.1 million. Now we have deep holes, we have holes on strike that you can wave your arms and say you're going to have multiples of that. Um, I think the real play is that this mine is going to be around a long time. It's mm-hmm. going to produce a lot of gold, and there's going to be a lot of upside on exploration here. Is that 1.33 or the 720,000 ounces, does that include the deeper underground mining potential, or is that just strip, strictly uh, open pitable stuff? That, that's strict, strictly open pitable in the top uh, 200 meters of the underground as we know it today. Mm-hmm. And anything down below in the drill holes or on strike is not included in any resource base yet. Yeah, and of course, nothing down there in the Gray Fox and nothing on the Pike River. I mean, this is uh, a lot of upside. I don't mean to hype anything, folks, but this is a. I've been watching gold mining companies for a long time, exploration companies since nine, since the nineteen early nineteen eighties, and this is certainly one of the more exciting ones. I think at this point in time, of course. You need to consult your, you know, your, your advisor, your investment advisor before you buy stocks. It's always a good idea. And look at all the facts. We've only given you a little bit of information here. You need to start doing your own due diligence. Go to the company's website and check it out. And uh, we're going to have Dave Russell on with us again over the next few weeks because he has so many exciting things to tell you about. Uh, so we're going to come up. We're coming up on the uh, on the commercial break now. When we come back, we're going to have Ian Gordon, who is an real bull on gold. Uh, Ian will have some very interesting things to tell you. He's also a deflationist, so we're going to pick Ian's brains and ask him why he thinks deflation, not hyperinflation, is inevitable. Folks, we'll be right back. Don't go away. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. 
As regular listeners to this show know, I am very bullish on gold, and especially gold mining stocks. One of my favorite gold mining companies is Metanor Resources, traded Toronto and the Pink Sheets. This is a new gold producer. It is using cash flows from its Berry Mine in Quebec to finance growth of that mine and to put the world-famous Quebec Bachelor Lake Mine back into production. This stock has been recommended by my newsletter because I do believe it holds extraordinary upside price potential with relatively low levels of risk. Visit Metanor's website at metanor.ca or subscribe to my newsletter for more information. For asset security in uncertain times, gold has always been the investment of choice. One of the best ways to profit from gold investing is to buy shares in companies that are exploring and developing gold deposits. Coral Gold is a gold exploration and development company with over 2.3 million drill-indicated ounces of gold. Coral Gold's low market cap allows investors to participate with leverage in a rising gold market. Coral Gold has a long track record of success in Nevada, dating back over 25 years. Visit Coral Gold on the web today at CoralGold.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm very pleased to have my really good friend, Ian Gordon, uh, with me today. Ian has been a good friend of mine. Now we're pushing 10 years, I guess, because time flies so, so rapidly. But back around 1998, Ian apparently had read something that I had written and and thought it was of some interest, and he uh, proposed that we exchange newsletters at that time, which I was extremely delighted to to do after having read his. And Ian brings, you know, what what attracts me uh, to people are people that have original ideas, people that can go back and, and look at history or people that can examine what's going on now and think differently about things, see things in a creative way, not just regurgitation, baloney that we get uh, through our educational system here in the United States that teach people to act like monkeys and and, and repeat things uh, and write them down in their little blue book uh, test booklets, but people that actually can can look at the world and things that are happening and come out with their own ideas. And Ian uh, certainly gives credit to people who provided foundational information, uh, Nikolai Kondratiev being one, but Ian has come through with some extremely valuable insights as far as i'm concerned that i've shared lavishly with my with my subscribers over the years ian has worked as a stockbroker in the past an institutional stockbroker he's an economic historian is the way i view him most and that's where i think he brings the most value intellectually uh, he's not currently working I, I believe ian correct me if i'm wrong but he's not currently working as a uh, as a broker at this point in time he's doing some other things but his 
uh, his work is certainly being carried on uh, by his son and daughter-in-law, uh, Duncan and Jasmine Gordon. And I would just like to mention that if uh, folks are interested in, in what Ian has to say here, they might consider calling uh, Duncan and or Jasmine at their toll-free number to check uh, out their services, and that number is 800-663-1899. That's 800-663-1899. I do know Duncan and Jasmine very well, uh, too, and uh, consider them highly. And I know that they're passing on a lot of their, their father's um, Good advice, and also uh, his his strong uh, his strong ethical standards, because Ian is a very ethical person, in my view. Well, Ian, welcome back to turning hard times into good times. Well, thank you, Jay. Ian, um, I guess it was several months ago we had you on before, and um, we have seen a big bounce back in the equity markets. We've seen uh, a lot of proclamations by this by the uh, ruling elite and by the mainstream media that. Uh, happy times are here again, or at least if they're not here in full, that we've turned the corner and prosperity is right around the corner, which is something we also are told was a common saying during the 1930s. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think the um, the bounce that we're having in the equity markets is uh, very much akin to the bounce that we had uh, following the uh, initial low, uh, which occurred on November the 13th, 1929, and the Dow was off some 48% in 13 weeks. And uh, the Federal Reserve really responded in exactly the same way that the Federal Reserve has responded to this uh, down, down move. And um, they cut interest rates very dramatically in uh, six weeks, uh, down to 35 from 6%. They flooded the banks with money in one week alone, according to Murray Rothbard, the uh, the money supply was increased in one week by 10%, and uh, that got things moving again. All that money got things moving again. The uh, stock market recovered into April 1930, recovered 50% of its losses, and uh, as you've just said, everybody felt at that time that things were uh, all going to get better. And by the way, in 1930, uh, you know, it was simply, uh, you know, the whole Problems were initiated uh, really by, you know, uh, uh, the credit mm-hmm. uh, problems that uh, we've seen again today. Excessive and, credit um, creation. But at that time, it wasn't reflected in a banking crisis, you know, in April 1930. It was merely the, the beginnings were reflected in stock prices. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so we've had a bounce back here, and you're, do you believe that the policies, uh, I mean, we're told that that the only reason we had a depression in the 1930s was that the Federal Reserve didn't get it right, that now Bernanke is smarter, the people that we have today are a lot smarter, and they know how to do it this time. Well, I don't believe that they do. I'm a big believer, you know, as you know, everything that I do is is around uh, uh, the long cycle or the Kondratiev cycle. Uh, every every prediction that I've made is based on my understanding of that cycle and mm-hmm. And, you know, without patting myself on the back, I like to think that just about every prediction that I have made has, uh, you know, has happened. And it's all based on a cycle. So uh, I'm also a a big believer that all cycles are natural phenomena, including financial and uh, economic cycles. And therefore, you know, for people like Bernanke to believe that they can turn the cycle back is, uh, you know, to my mind, to my mind, the sort of a massive hubris, and uh, yeah. uh, 
Uh, it's like King Canute going out, you know, and believing that uh, as a king he had the power to make the tide go back. Mm. And um, it doesn't go back until it's ready to go back. And it's the same for these cycles. They, you know, they have to respond in a natural way to the phenomena that's been uh, sort of set up for them. And and what we have in this cycle is a massive amount of debt, uh, probably more so than at any other time in history. Um, and that debt is akin to the debt that was set up in the 1920s, in the Roaring Twenties. And that debt basically brought down the entire U.S. banking system because Roosevelt closed all banks in uh, when he came to office in March 1933. So the entire U.S. banking system was brought to its knees, and, and its debt is going to do the same thing again. So, no, I don't think that Bernanke or anybody can turn back uh, the cycle. So this is a cycle that is uh, that is really a, a credit expansion, credit contraction cycle. The the uh, long wave is is it not? It's it, it's part of the process. I think the whole you know, for my mind, it's a you know it's a because it's a natural. All cycles are natural. Mm-hmm. It's based on you know a human human emotion, and I'm talking about collective human emotion. And so you you start, you know, and our present cycle started in 1949. Well, imagine what the, the collective uh, uh, sort of confidence was in uh, 1949. It was very, very fragile. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they, people had just gone through a big depression, and the Second World War had taken them out of the depression, but they felt with the ending of the war that they would return to a depression because now there was no you know, need to build tanks and warships and so on, and all these people that had been employed uh, doing that, Rosie the Riveter and so on, were going to lose their jobs because there was no need for those kinds of jobs anyway, and all these servicemen, the million-plus servicemen, were going to come back anyway and take jobs away. So the confidence was very, very fragile in 1949, and it slowly starts to build in the cycle. Uh, as we move further away from the depression and and so the confidence peak and it's as i say it's associated with money the confidence peak is reached actually at the end of autumn mm-hmm. why because at the end of autumn it's uh, when the stock market really always does has outperformed everything else and everybody's getting rich by being invested in stocks mm-hmm. so we can see today if we look at the consumer sentiment numbers that the university of michigan publishes Consumer confidence reached its peak on the, in uh, January 2000. Well, that's exactly the same time that the Dow reached its peak at 11,750. Mm-hmm. And even with the secondary peak, and I call it a secondary peak, the, you know, that's when I say winter started. Um, and so, you know, you, we've gone... Excuse gone me, and you believe winter started in, in 2000, right? Sorry? You believe winter started in 2000. Yeah, with that yeah. peak. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greenspan right. forestalled it to some extent by bringing interest rates back from 6 to 1%, flooding the banks with money. Mm-hmm. And actually what he did was he made the winter, it's going to be far more vicious this time because the debt was increased by almost 50% between 2000 and 2007. And we wouldn't have had the same massive housing crisis that evolved uh, as a result of, you know, him pushing so much money into the banks, and the banks, you know, when they have this money, they've got to lend it out. Well, they lend it out to people who shouldn't have been borrowing in the first place. Okay, so Ian, I should maybe possibly clarify for listeners that aren't familiar with your work 
that you're looking at the end of the autumn, and, and basically you're looking at a 60-, 70-year cycle that has a spring, summer, autumn, winter component to it. And when we get to the winter section, the winter season, which you're saying is 2000, the year 2000, you start a major contraction, a credit contraction in that cycle. Is that is that it? And that's when you sort of purify the system, get rid of the bad debt, and get back to the, a time when you can actually start with solid growth again? Yeah, exactly. I mean, what you do is, um, uh, you know, I mean, if we go back to the previous cycle, the winter started in 1929, mm-hmm. and the big stock market that occurred in the Roaring Twenties was akin to the big stock market that started in 1982. So uh, that was the autumn big bull market, and now the big bull market, you know, they're always followed. Bull markets are always followed by bear markets, mm-hmm. and the bear market is always basically a mirror image of the bull market, so that as good as the bull market's been, the bear market's going to be very bad. Okay, well, that leads me to another question then that, uh, that I want to ask you. Last week, we had Dr. Robert McHugh on our show, and I, I think you're familiar with Dr. McHugh's work. To I'm a subscriber to his work. I think it's excellent. It, it is, but here's what I want to ask you. Dr. McHugh uh, has two scenarios, two major scenarios. And I asked him the probability of either of those, and he said at this time it was impossible for him to say, but he's, he's you know, basically assigning a 50-50 probability to these two outcomes. The one would be the best-case scenario would see a sideways market where we might see the old March 6 lows tested and maybe something in the 11,500 on the highs, and we might bounce back and forth between those extreme gyrations over the next, over the next five years, four or five years. That's the best he can see happening. And in my mind, that's similar uh, to what we saw during the 1970s. And I remember painfully how, you know, how painful that was. The worst case scenario, though, is this cataclysmic nation changing event that he sees where the Dow would actually fall between maybe zero and a thousand. And he sees several major stock markets with major head and shoulders formations that could, that you could project that kind of decline. Now, I believe in, in talking to you in the past that that you're probably believing it's more likely that we're going to see McHugh's worst case scenario than his best case scenario. Is that right? Well, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really. My opinion is that we're definitely going to see the cataclysmic uh, uh, McHugh's sort of cataclysmic uh, stock market event. Yeah. Uh, my target for the Dow and has be, has been for. Uh, number of years now is a thousand on the bottom mm-hmm. and and I picked that number uh, a it's a little bit bigger uh, than uh, you know the 2932 collapse which uh, basically the Dow lost 90% of its value it's a slightly bigger collapse than that mm-hmm. in percentage terms but I pick a thousand because a thousand was a major resistance point for the Dow mm-hmm. Dow started to hit a thousand in 1966 and and several times it tried to get through that thousand point number and never did until 1983. So, uh, you know, those big resistance points always become support points on the, on the other side. So that, uh, you know, I'm sort of su- su- suggesting that we're going to go back to that thousand, the point from which stocks broke out. Well, I must say, if you talk to people about a thousand on the Dow, um, you know, people that are knowledgeable at all about the stock market and even have the smallest interest in the market they would um they would probably you know just just deny it or just say that you're that you're a little bit that you're smoking something funny perhaps <laughs> are you in 
<laughs> well, I'm not, and I never have. <laughs> <laughs> I know you were a good soldier uh, once to the that, British, Jake. so <laughs> I doubt that you would do something like that. Sorry. Anyway, so so you're you're. I mean, there's no way, in your view, that we can avoid this sort of cataclysmic decline. And you know, zero well, we to a thousand. You know, Jay, we have to understand where we are. Mm-hmm. And we know that in the cycle, we're back into the the beginning of the 1930s. Okay? We're just repeating because, as I just said to you, the big bull market was akin to the big bull market of the 1920s, the big bull market of the 80s and the 90s. And you can go back and say it was akin to the big bull market that ended in 1873. And uh, following that, we went into a depression. So we're going into an economic depression. It's all brought about by the debt. But this time, it's far, far bigger than it was in 29. And remember, in the United States case, the U.S. was the world's largest creditor nation. She had a negligible amount of debt in 1929. In fact, following the First World War, and in the 20s, the American government started paying down their debt. So this didn't happen this time. You know, it actually started yeah. to increase because the United States became a big... Uh, the debt nation in 1988 and, and continued to add to that debt mm-hmm. uh, considerably all the way through. And so this time, you know, it doesn't really have the wherewithal to throw at the problem. And even with all the money that uh, Roosevelt and Hoover before him threw at the problem, they weren't able to get the U.S. out of the Depression mm-hmm. because the cycle had to run its course until the Second World War. Mm-hmm. Unemployment was still in 1941 in double-digit numbers. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't uh, Roosevelt's or uh, Hoover before him. I mean, Hoover tried, you know, threw a lot of money at it, mm-hmm. and Roosevelt just followed on in the same way. Uh, they weren't able to get the U.S. out of the Depression because, as I say, it's a cycle, and it has to run its course. And the winter part of the cycle is the payback period when debt is washed out of the system. You don't build a strong economy on big debt. Well, that's a, what you say is very interesting because the Treasury Secretary uh, Morgenthau for Roosevelt, who was a p- close personal friend of Roosevelt's, acknowledged after eight years of the Roosevelt administration, the first the first two terms, that in spite of all that expenditure and all their, their work, you know, their efforts to try to, to outrun the de- the uh, depression, that in fact unemployment was as high after eight years as it was when they started. Plus, they had all this debt to boot. So it didn't right. work then, and I asked Congressman Paul when I interviewed him on this show, you know, how can people be so stupid? How can they keep doing the same thing over and over again? I mean, that's neurotic. That's the definition of a neurosis is people don't learn from the past, and they keep doing stupid, self-destructive things, but that's what we're doing, our policies. And Congressman Paul said, well, they don't really think they are. You know, they think they didn't do it well enough or they didn't do enough of it. But here we have this enormous amount of debt, and Ian, I have to say that, you know, McHugh's work, uh, he talks about not just a super cycle, but a grand super cycle. And that's very much in tune, I believe, with Robert Prechter's work. And we're going to have Robert Prechter on our show in the middle of October, so we want to ask Prechter, uh, you know, about these same things. But so you, do you see this grand super cycle thing, then? then it's a magnitude worse, potentially, this decline than, than the 1930s? Well, uh, well, I, I, it's not, you know, I, I see the stock market de- decline being, you know, if I pick a thousand, it's somewhat. It's you know maybe maybe that's ninety three percent as opposed to ninety percent in twenty nine thirty two. But the 
the, the point that I see is that I think the depression is going to be far, far worse than it was in the 30s, simply because the debt is far, far bigger now than it was then. And it's far bigger internationally. You know, the whole problem is an international in scope. I mean, just a couple of days ago, um, Spain officially recognized that the country was in a depression. Yeah, that was an official correct. recognition in Spain, and and to think that somehow all and and that depression is being brought about by the massive build-up of debt, particularly in the real estate uh, area in Spain. So, and you know, Ireland is going to face the same kind of problems. Uh, England is going to face, or United Kingdom is going to face the same kind of problems, and the United States is going to face the same. So, problems. the whole Western world, essentially, right? Yeah, yeah. Australia, Canada, and. And Europe is going to be somewhat better off because they never got into the, you know, into that huge, crazy borrowing game. Okay. Ian, uh, we don't have that much time left, so I have to get on to gold. You, uh, I would like to ask you first, if I could, and if I can get a quick answer, I'll ask you. Why do you think that hyperinflation is, is, is not at all possible? Is it not possible, would it not be possible to put money in the hands of the masses, just simply print script Hand it out to the masses and let her rip. Could you not? I mean, then, I mean you know, it's possible, but they've they've had an opportunity to do that and they didn't do it. I mean, their whole idea here is to bail out, you know, the guys that really support them and look after them, which is the bank. So that uh, I don't think they're ever going to get that money into into the people's hands, and it's certainly not getting into the people's hands now. So that you can see that lending is way down. Uh, across the board in in all nations, and also the uh, you can see that the money supply and uh, uh, the Daily Telegraph again, the U- UK paper wrote about this that money supply is just crashing. So we're in a deflation already. I just don't see how they can turn all this debt, this massive, this 56 or 58 trillion dollars of debt in the United States, and somehow get you know through creating more debt. The economy get us into a hyperinflation kind of scenario. So, no, I'm a deflationist. I believe that we're going into a massive deflation. It isn't possible that uh, maybe after they've taken care of their friends at Goldman Sachs and they've basically raped the land of all the value that they would not then just print out money when they're when when the masses storm the White House and the Capitol building and just say let them eat cake. I don't think that's possible. I think that the the whole paper money system has run its course, and every time we've seen these kind of historical references, if you go back to the John Law scheme and if you go back to the Asinor scheme, these things, that the whole idea is to solve the problem, is to create more and more paper. And uh, they did that, you know, in John Law's day in the 1720s in France. They did in the Assignon during the French Revolution. They created more and more paper trying to get the thing going again, and it failed. And eventually they turned the whole thing and they went back into, you know, went back to a gold standard. Okay, Ian, we've got about two minutes to go here. Can you tell us, I know you're extremely bullish on gold and gold mining. Why? Well, because, uh, you know, what what happens in the good times, capital capital flows to where it uh, sees the best profits, where it can make the most money. Mm-hmm. In the really bad times, and I'm foreca- forecasting very, very bad times, in the very bad times, capital, capital seeks security. It wants to, it wants to be safe. Mm-hmm. And gold is the safest money that there is. So people turn to gold because they trust it. They don't mm-hmm. trust paper anymore. So that, that's the big move. 
And, you know, we only mine 80 million ounces of gold a year, Jay. Uh-huh. And so that's such a small amount of, uh, of uh, gold produced every year to satisfy this, what I consider to be a massive demand as a whole banking system. And, by the way, we haven't yet seen the collapse of the banking system, which I'm sure is ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the government has bailed out the banks up to this point in time, but the next leg is going to come down. And when that starts to happen, the run to gold is going to be enormous, and that has to force up price. So I have a target, you know, and it's sort of a $4,000 target for gold, which Please. I don't think okay. is way out in any, you know, any way, and 1000 for the Dow. So if you do the Dow uh, divided by the gold price, you know, we we get a quarter of an ounce of gold is going to buy the Dow Jones. And if you can tell us real quickly, why do you, uh, why do you see that ratio? I mean, I mean, one one has, been the bo- has been the ratio at the bottom of the markets, so at the bottom of the equity markets in the last 100 years. Why a .25 to 1 ratio this time? Well, because up until, you know, in the 30s, the gold price was fixed, and this time it isn't fixed. And at that time, it only dropped to a 2 to 1 ratio because gold was fixed at $20.67 an ounce, and the Dow dropped to 42. So you had a 2 to 1 relationship. Okay. And in 1980, you went to a 1 to 1 relationship when gold hit at 850 and the Dow hit 850. But I think this time, with the price of gold, you know, not being fixed as it was in the 20s, and the cataclysmic sort of target that we have for the Dow, we're going to see something like a quarter to one. Okay, Ian, can you tell our listeners where they can tra- follow your work? They can follow it on uh, www.longwavegroup.com. Excellent. That's www.longwavegroup.com, right? Right. Excellent. Thank you, Ian, so much for, for uh, sharing your time and insights with our listeners. Thank you, Jay. We'll be right back, folks, with a wrap-up with Chen Lin and Roger Wiegand, so don't go away. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. As regular listeners to this show know, I am very bullish on gold, and especially gold mining stocks. One of my favorite gold mining companies is Metanor Resources, traded Toronto and the Pink Sheets. This is a new gold producer. It is using cash flows from its Berry Mine in Quebec to finance growth of that mine and to put the world-famous Quebec Bachelor Lake Mine back into production. This stock has been recommended by my newsletter because I do believe it holds extraordinary upside price potential with relatively low levels of risk. Visit Metanor's website at metanor.ca or subscribe to my newsletter for more information. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. 
He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. For asset security in uncertain times, gold has always been the investment of choice. One of the best ways to profit from gold investing is to buy shares in companies that are exploring and developing gold deposits. Coral Gold is a gold exploration and development company with over 2.3 million drill-indicated ounces of gold. Coral Gold's low market cap allows investors to participate with leverage in a rising gold market. Coral Gold has a long track record of success in Nevada, dating back over 25 years. Visit Coral Gold on the web today at CoralGold.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down. I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, and I have my two partners with me here to wrap up this show this week, uh, Roger Wiegand and Chen Lin. I'm going to turn to Roger first. Roger, you've listened to Ian's remarks. Uh, what do you think longer term? I mean, it's pretty dismal. Do you think Do you think there's a possibility Ian's right, or is uh, is he smoking something funny, as I suggested? Well, no, I, I think Ian's correct, and I totally agree with him. Unfortunately, I think that all this debt's got to go away, and they can inflate with the bonds and the dollar all they want but with the dilution, but even if they chop the dollar back to 40, where Dr. McHugh is forecast, and I'm at 46, that may get rid of half of the debt, but what about the other half? Who's going to pay it? Nobody's mm-hmm. got any money. Mm-hmm. I, I absolutely agree with Ian. The only thing we disagree on is, I think there is an opportunity for some inflation and perhaps hyperinflation simply because the dollar is going to drop so much and the prices of things you know, on the, on the inverse are going to go a lot higher. I think inflation right now, according to our friend John Williams at Shadow Stats, is running at around 6%, and I agree with that. Yeah, but which means that, that if you apply that, then the GDP is much more negative than what they're reporting as well. That's true. Yeah, they're they're saying GDP is three or four, and it's like minus four. Okay, Roger. Let me ask you uh, near term then in uh, in the equity markets and and also gold. If you'd comment, what do you see happening? Well, first of all, in the equity markets, we said we had two options on the Dow for prices for resistance. Uh, the first one long ago was ten four ten eight. About three months ago, I said ninety eight hundred, and that's holding right now for the Dow. Today we're under 9,800, and it is resisting. The other one is the S&P, we said 1050, and as I look at my screen right now, the futures are 1055 in the red. So I think that's where we are in the stock market. 
I think the correction has started. It's hitting all the stocks, including gold and silver stocks. The question then becomes, is this going to be a mild correction or a severe correction? Uh, we said some months ago that it was going to be severe. Uh, that remains to be seen. We've got about five months, excuse me, five weeks in the cycle through the end of October to really determine how we come out of this on the selling side. Now, gold right now today on the Dece futures is 993.20, and uh, there's a stop or a resistance point at $992.50. Uh, and on the December silver, we're looking at $16.18, $16.15 as support. All the top three currencies that go inverse from the dollar were running a lot higher, but now the dollar has gone in the green and firmed up. We're looking at uh, 96.49 in the Swiss, the Canadian at 92.14, the Euro at uh, 145.74. So as we near the end of the month, things are holding, shares are dropping, uh, gold and silver is starting to sell off mildly, uh, gold is holding firmly at 992 support, and I'm looking for a, a low in gold to come on the calendar on Friday, October 9. At where? Where do you see it going, Roger? Uh, that price could be as low as 950, depending on other other markets and where you know they hit us. Okay. Or it could stop somewhere between 965, 975. Okay, Roger. Wish to add more time. I got to turn to Chen. Uh, Chen, what are your thoughts here? I want to ask you more in terms of what are you liking these days because you have just picked some fantastic winners this year. What what uh, what do you like these days? What stocks do you do you see? Is there one you'd like to mention in particular that you think is very interesting at this time? Hi, Jay. Yeah, um, I've been actually buying Metanor resources. Metanor, Metanor resources. Yeah, yeah. The uh, last it's... week they came out with a fantastic thrilling results, over nine gram, over thirty-three meter. Okay, Chen. I should mention again that Metanor is a sponsor to this show, just so people are aware. Um, you know, but go ahead. Tell us why you like Metanor. Yeah, uh, it, it's a nine gram over thirty-three meter. It's very long and it's near surface. Mm-hmm. And the, the ideal is right. It's at it's an open pit mine, so mm-hmm. they can they have all the permits. They can just uh, dig it out. Of course, they're going to drill out this new discovery first. Sure. So we should see some continuous news and drilling results from now till the end of the year. Then we can see how big this deposit is. It could be one of the world class, you know, world world class discovery. Yeah. So I'm very excited about this, and the company market cap is so low. Uh, I you know we made a lot of money in Apollo uh, this year. I was asked who will be the next Apollo. I think mm-hmm. will be have a very good chance to be the next Apollo. Well, we are going to be interviewing uh, somebody from Metanor, I believe, next week, Chen. So I want you to listen in and, and perhaps have a question or two for Metanor next week. They will be a, a guest interview in this show. But Metanor, uh, I should mention, as the Bachelor Lake mine, which is a, a you know an old mine that is uh, very well known probably has a million ounces in that mine that can be pulled out and pulled out at a fairly good rate. They have a, a mill that's in place, and they are producing gold now. So they are a producer, and uh, they have several properties. So the, the one you're talking about, Chen, is the berry deposit, right? Yes, it's berry deposit. They just have a brand-new discovery. It was buried old, with old and gold, got hammered, all these uh, gold-dashing news. So okay, so what happens here, as I understand it, Chen, is that you've got the berry where you can quickly pull the ore out of the, because it's a surface deposit, an open pit deposit, 
you got the Bachelor Lake mine, which is an underground mine, but you're milling the same mill. All these these properties, and there's another couple of properties the company has, they're pulling ore from these different, they have the potential to pull ore from several different places to feed the mill. One of the problems you have a lot of times, folks, with the underground mines is the ability to pull enough ore fast enough to feed your mill. And uh, so I don't know what you think, Chen, but it seems to me with with several different uh, possibilities for feeding the mill, this makes us a much more attractive company. Exactly, and they are upgrading their mill to 1,200 pounds per, per, per day in the next All right. month, so very exciting time. For them. The music is telling me that we're just about out of time here, folks. Um, I, I do think that you need to be cautious at this point in time. Roger was suggesting a, down, a decline in the equity markets. We've been suggesting that you cash up, uh, take some profits from some of the good gold mining uh, profits that you've made this year or wherever you can find it, raise some cash because I do think there's a risk of a very significant decline in the equity markets and that the gold and silver shares could go down with it. And with, when that happens, you're going to want to have some cash so you can buy some of these stocks at very attractive prices. Uh, I think Metanor looks like a very attractive price right now. Uh, there's a lot of other companies out there. I do think that we want to watch for the Hindenburg Omen that Dr. McHugh talks about as a sign of the potential for a cataclysmic decline down. Uh, it is time to go. I want to remind you again that you can call my assistant, Claudio Bassi, to learn more about our work and to get uh, some uh, low-cost introduction uh, subscriptions to Chen's letter for $39 one month, Roger Wiegand $49 for one month, my letter for three months for $59. Next week, we're going to have another exciting guest. I'm not quite sure who it's going to be yet, but we have uh, some really great ideas and some good possibilities. We know you're going to want to hear, uh, listen to to our show next week. I want to say also in closing, uh, always to thank the people that make this show logistically possible. And I'm talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, my senior executive producer, Tacey Trump, Ruben Colombe, the operations manager, and Travis Ortwin, who does such a great job as my engineer. All these people make this show possible to listen to. And you, I want to thank for listening again. It make, gives, gives us a reason to talk to you. Uh, and to blabber on the on the radio. Thanks again for listening, and until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is the time is Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.